0: okay
1: happy friday morning it is the crossing broadcast i am russell joy at joy on broad joined as sometimes by crossing broad's own beat reporter for the philadelphia 76ers your team your town your philadelphia 76ers kevin kincaid kevin how are you
0: what's going on man it's uh it's a pleasure to be with you and if you guys are listening uh, on Friday morning, that I am recovering from my first competitive basketball game in
1: ten years. Yeah, so I guess we will have to get into uh, the ins and outs of that. Uh, as you put on Twitter, it looks like you had five rebounds, four steals, one block. Uh, many would call that a TJ McConnell stat line. I would refer you back to the great Reggie Jackson, who once played for uh, for the Philadelphia seventy six ers, not the not the nice guard from Detroit. We're talking about yeah. We're talking about
0: Reggie with the, the beautiful beard the Kimbo slice beard yeah you know if uh, I also had zero points on zero for zero shooting um, thank you for leaving that out I don't know if that was by design but uh, no I figure, man if I'm going to be writing about basketball I should start playing again you know so it was a very like um, if you took like Patrick Beverly and uh, Dennis Rodman and you took all the offense out of both of their games um, that's kind of how my performance was on Thursday night zero points on zero for zero shooting at is in
1: line with apparently how LeBron James plays with the bench uh, when he is playing as the Philadelphia 76ers on NBA 2K. TJ did not touch the floor in that game. All starters played 24 minutes. So hey, if nothing else, if you were on the bench, uh, you would have also gone zero for zero. Uh, The Crossing broadcast, as always, is brought to you by Carlino's Market in Ardmore and Westchester. Uh, great place to go and get your artisanal meats and cheeses to get your pasta dishes, tomato pie, pizza. It's all there. It's the best. And if you haven't gone to Carlino's yet, I don't know what you're waiting for, but it's about time you get off the couch. Uh, if you're in the car listening to this, don't go to work. Drive yourself to Ardmore or to Westchester and go pick up some delicious Carlino's. Take it home for the missus tonight and uh, save her the uh, the hassle of having to make you another meal, potentially. Um, Although you might be the one who makes it yourself. Carlino's Market in Ardmore and Westchester, keeping marriages alive since a long time ago. And Amerigas. Amerigas, the nation's number one propane provider, available at over 55,000 locations across the U.S., locally at Home Depot and 7-Eleven. We are running a promotion on crossingbroad.com backslash Amerigas. If you uh, put out on Twitter or Instagram the hashtag show your tank with the most delightful picture of you and your Amerigas propane tank. You'll be entered to win. Uh, go to crossingbroad.com backslash Amerigas, and uh, all you have to do is put your name, your email, and I believe your zip code, and you'll be entered to win a $500 Amerigas propane and propane-related accessory package. worth of things from Amerigas and a $200 gift card to the Crossing Broad store. So, again, thank you to Carlino's and Amerigas. So, Kevin, uh, I don't know if you heard, but there's been a development in Markel Fultz, or at least the way that he's been reported. Um, Kyle Newbeck, we touched on this on Wednesday, but Kyle Newbeck wrote a lengthy piece for Philly Voice. Uh, Derek Bodner did a little follow-up for The Athletic. just wanted to kind of get your opinion as as somebody who's down there uh, for practices and is there to cover the team locally at home. Um, what have you been seeing? You've gotten a couple shout-outs on different podcasts recently as not having been somebody who's gotten too hyped up, too involved in the uh, the everyday fracas of uh, the Zapruder film of
0: Markel Foltz. Mm-hmm.
1: Break it down for us.
0: I mean, it's kind of strange for me, honestly, because, you know, I didn't, I didn't start on the beat until, like, late September, you know, and so I came on board when they had already gone through. He had already played in Summer League. He already had the the injury in Summer League and then uh, disappeared for a little bit and then came back. And, like, right when I started on the beat was, like, right when people were noticing that his free throw looked different, you know? So it's weird for me to kind of, like, jump right into the middle of that. Um, But, you know, trying to apply some of the other stuff that I saw doing other sports over the years, um, it just, like... I, I my, my biggest takeaway here is that Mark people and the Sixers are not at all on the same page. <laughs> Nobody's on the same page here. And that be, that was apparent from the beginning when his agent came out and had the whole faux pas with the shoulder being drained, which is not drained and it ended up being a cortisone shot. Um you know, and then they're saying, well, you know, you have this the scapular balance, but he's actually he was never medically, you know, he was can't be medically cleared if he was never you know ru- technically ruled out in the first place so basically more than anything I, I think this is a fan base that's waited patiently through Embiid through Simmons through Nerlens Noel through you know how many injuries over whatever couple years I think you just shut him down for the season and just say well, we're moving on we're going to figure it out next year but the fact that Brian Colangelo says to the media straight up that he still doesn't know what happened um it's just it's just bogus you know so it's I, th- I think what it is is they're basically Markel probably did something on his own um, with his own people that the new the new piece of information in Kyle's story was that he's been working out on his own with his own people like outside of Sixers control. And then in Derek's story, I think he was saying that, um, you know, he had started working on the shot or trying to change a shot before Summer League even began, you know. Um, so, I mean, it's clear that the Sixers are kind of falling on the sword a little bit here. They're not happy with Markel and Markel's people for whatever they did on their own. Um, so you just shut him down and try to get it, get him ready for next year. But, you know, it turns into this big bullshit because, you know, there's, he's sitting there shooting, you know, at the end of every practice. Right. And, um, yeah, for context here, like a lot of those videos that you see, not the stuff pregame before the games, obviously, but a lot of the stuff you see at the practices, that's at the very like final 10 minutes 15 minutes of practice. I hesitate to even call that practice in the first place because you know they go for an hour an hour and a half whatever it is and then it's more of like the cool down part of practice where you're just sort of BSing and shooting some shots um you know doing some individual stuff on the side and I don't put a ton of stock into that but they got to decide if they want all this scrutiny from him being out there or not. You know, if you don't want the uh, all these little videos going out there and people saying, why is he shooting this way? Why is he shooting that way? And, and you know, pestering Brett Brown with these questions that he really shouldn't be answering in the first place. Then just put him behind a curtain or take him out or, or don't put him in front of the media in the first place because you know, it becomes kind of a catch-22 for us and then the whole thing with J.J. Reddick happens. Yeah, so uh, J.J. Reddick
1: at one point, uh, I, I don't know how this exactly happened, but J.J., I guess, uh, took offense or finally had enough of seeing... The second that the uh the proverbial curtain is pulled away, um, that he he essentially yelled uh around so the media could hear he yelled, I guess, to an assistant coach that he's just an effing 19 year old kid. Mm-hmm. Um and and he later commented, and I, I was listening to the podcast um that he had with uh with TJ, and I think he mentioned on that as well that you know, it, it's bordering on obsession. Yeah. And to to hear that from a from a, a well respected NBA vet. A guy who's been on some some really good contending teams and has also been on some rebuilding young teams, um, you know. It I think in in the grand scheme of things, when we've talked about Brian Colangelo wanting to bring in veterans for their leadership, and and you know JJ and TJ even had talked about this that when TJ first started with the team, he didn't really have vets, and he said now in his third year or, or when he finally got into his third year, you know he has JJ and he has Amir Johnson now to lean on, but. You know, I don't know if that's the kind of support that anybody would have, uh, you know, expected from from JJ to uh, to step up for this nineteen year old kid. But it, I think, it is interesting that he is uh, willing to be as outspoken. And uh, I, I don't know how did how did that go over with uh, <laughs> with
0: the fellow media? No, I mean, look, it's good. It's a good thing. I mean, he's he's just being a good teammate. You know, I I I would want somebody to def- defend me too. You know, if, if stuff was happening, but okay so I'll tell you I'll tell you straight from the beginning we walked into I mean look for context here basically what happens is the Sixers you you walk up to their practice facility there's like a front desk area and like a little hallway and if you walk through the hallway and to the right there's where the media room is and it's um you know it's closed off uh on three sides it's just concrete and then there's a window um on the far side where the gym is but there's always like a you know like a little like curtain like pulled down uh, on the other side on the gym side of it so we can hear like sneakers we can hear people running around and we can hear some shouting and stuff like that but you can't really make out like if Brett Brown's calling like uh, hey we're going to work on UCLA cuts or something like that I wouldn't be able to hear something like that right but so what happens is then one of the media guys will come in um you know usually like Rob or Patrick or something and they'll say hey we're open you know our our practice session is open right so what happens is we walk around the corridor we're allowed into a portion of the gym and then we can see sort of the end of practice or when they're sort of cooling down and we walk in and everybody looks for Markell right away and picks you know puts up their phone and starts shooting video and JJ sees that uh, gets annoyed and he says, you know, hey, he's only, not fucking nineteen years old. You guys are, like, out of control or like leave him alone or something like that. I didn't, I didn't catch exactly like what he said. And I walked over and I asked um Todd and Newbeck and I said, hey, did you catch all that? And they said, yeah, he was just saying like, you know, it's, you know, he doesn't like us shooting him or whatever. So when he went to speak to the media, that was the first question I asked him. I said, JJ, you sounded like you were. Um, You you were annoyed with with us shooting video of Markel. Is that something that you want to speak to? And that's where the quote came from. And it it wasn't like combative at all. I don't think he was like he wasn't pissed off at me, and I wasn't like annoyed at him or whatever. But it's always it's it's like awkward if you just like ignore that. I mean, he was clearly like pissed off at all of us in the room. So if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. You know. And I'm glad I asked him the question because then that sort of became like a a big story and a national thing. And um. I don't, I don't blame him for sticking up for his teammate, you know? But then at the same time, it's like, you know, I'm like a dickhead if, if I do and a dickhead if I don't because half of the people, half of my followers want Markel Fultz's video to look at. And the other half are like, well, just stop shooting the kid and leave the kid alone. <laughs> so, like, I don't, you know, I don't think I've been – I don't think I've gone overboard with the videos. I try to shoot a couple of them if I'm there and just – I kind of joke about it. Here's some video. Be the judge for yourself. Like, I don't make any conclusions. I don't make any sweeping statements. I'm not a basketball expert, you know, yet. So, um yeah, it's, it's you just try to walk the line there. You try to give people what they want, but you try to be respectful of the kid at the same time, and uh, that's basically how the story goes. All right.
1: Uh, it it was interesting. I, I guess maybe like one little bit of a positive that came out recently. Um, there was video that was shot. I guess it was yesterday, um, pregame of uh, it was Zach Rosenblatt um, mm-hmm. posted it of uh, Fultz attempting some uh, turn around. I don't know if we're going to call these the. Uh, the Hezzy pull-up Jimbo's, but the uh, the turnaround jumpers from just outside the free-throw line, and the last time we heard from Brian Colangelo, which was the first time we'd heard from him, in, what, two months? Yeah. Um. He had said that Markell's range was only within the paint, and now he's taking some free-throw line jumpers. Now, I feel like I've been the only person, or one of the only people who has thought since the beginning of the year that uh, I, I was pretty big in saying that Fultz wasn't going to come back until after the All-Star break. It sounds like conventional wisdom is finally starting to set in that, obviously, that would probably be on the earliest spectrum. Is there any way that you see the Sixers really trying to force the issue of getting him in? Uh, like A scenario that that kind of comes to mind is the Sixers are Fighting somewhere in that, I think six through eight are going to probably be a a close cluster in the standings at the end of the season. And if you're looking for the perfect matchup, you're looking to avoid Boston or maybe even if Cleveland's uh, new form, since they essentially blew up and rebuilt the uh, entire Cavaliers team Humpty Dumpty style. Mm -hmm. um, You know, if you're trying to find that perfect matchup and you're not getting production from Jared Bayless, which is pretty fair to say will be the case... Is there any scenario where you where you do think that Fultz is going to be thrust into action? Or really, is this just something where the, the general feeling
0: coming out of the building is that they're going to shut him down for the year? I mean, I think the general feeling is that they're going to shut him down, but I would put him in if he's ready to play. Because what is, what is this season? This season doesn't matter. It's like yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have the sixth or the seventh or the eighth seed or whatever, but they're not gonna contend. They're not gonna win the title. I mean, this was always the season before the season, was it not? I mean, we didn't know if Joel was gonna be healthy. We didn't know what we were gonna have in Ben Simmons. We didn't know we were gonna have a markel Foltz. There, they didn't make any trades at the deadline. You know, they brought a Marco Bellinelli, a, a, a buyout. um you know, without having to give up any resources. In a lot of ways, this next offseason is going to be Brian Calangelo's biggest offseason since he's been here. And then you're going to, have, you know, have this core assembled and be ready to make the run, you know. So so I don't – so people saying, like, well, if you put Markell in now, he kind of disrupts everything, you know. I mean, uh, you, this is your team that you have. I, I, I mean, I think that's bullshit because it's like it, – the, the, it's more important to develop this core of people and get him in there and get him some real minutes versus – I mean, whatever. So what, you're protecting like your seventh seed or something like that? You think you're going to ruin that? Um, I don't know. I I just don't really buy that philosophy. Like The guy's the number one draft pick, you know? And if he's ready to play, put him in, you know? And the only thing I could see them saying is, well, you know, we went out and got Bellinelli, and he's not going to be that bad now. We're finally comfortable with what we have off the bench. But, um, I mean, I'm not convinced that the bench is still all that much. You know, is is Bellinelli going to give you 17 every night? Probably not. So, I mean, if he's ready, I would throw him in. I mean considering the fact that he is my Italian doppelganger. Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yes. Then then you know I, I think it's pretty safe to say that there is a, a a decent likelihood. Interestingly enough, 538 right now has the Sixers projected as the uh fourth seed in the Eastern Conference with a 47 and 35 record. They also have the uh probability of them making the playoffs at 97%. <laughs> uh only behind the Raptors, Celtics and Cavs. So uh and the 538 projection has gone bonkers on Cleveland since the uh, the trade deadline. There was a a small time there where the uh, Sixers and Cavs were projected to have the exact same record, and now Cleveland is projected at at going 50 and 32. Um, <laughs> so it's it
0: is amazing what yeah. those uh, what models you. will what models will do. They um, um they, you know what? It's funny though because they okay, so they're 30 and 25 right now. They got the. Five straight going into the All Star break, which was huge. And um, Wednesday night's game, I mean, we were all sitting there at halftime, like, "Oh, they're due for a clunker." You know, what are we gonna, what the hell are we gonna write about this game? You know, do we have to watch the second half or whatever? And they came back and get it done with with great defense and some some points off the bench. So so now when you come back, you have at Chicago versus the Magic at home. Then you have one, two, three, four, five, six. I think it's like eight. I think they play like eight of ten on the road. So, I, like, low-key, I don't think people really understood, like, how critical that run was. Yeah, it's nice that they go into the All-Star break with momentum, but, the like, the late March, like, into April, that part of the schedule is pretty easy, but, not like, the beginning of March and the ed, coming after the All-Star break is kind of tricky.
1: Yeah, it's rough. The, the next 10 or so games, uh, at Chicago, home against the Magic, at Washington, still missing John Wall, At Miami, at Cleveland, home against Charlotte, which you need to win, uh, at Milwaukee, which is an important game, Uh, finish the home and home with uh, Charlotte after that, another game at Miami, then you go to uh, play Big Baby Jaw and his team in Brooklyn, (laughs) and you're hosting the Pacers. It's a it's a tough stretch, but if nothing else, it's a it's against a bunch of teams that you're trying to either leapfrog or you are trying to put your foot on the throat of. Yeah, it's not it's not murderer's the road. Stretch. They're
0: not you know they got that's why we were saying at the beginning beginning of the year get you got Golden State out of the way, you got Houston out of the way, you got Boston out of the way, you got Toronto out of the way. I mean. And they did well f- for the most part, you know, head above water in those games. So that stretch, we're gonna know by March like eighth or eleventh, like if they're gonna be sixth or seventh. Well, not only really the seating, but that's gonna deter- we're gonna know whether they're in the playoffs or not. Like f- four or five games after the All Star break,
1: the only real challenges that they have left on their on their schedule would appear to be a home game on the twenty fourth against uh, Minnesota, and they've got you know like they've got Cleveland one time yeah i and think Washington, they play cleveland
0: at home to, uh, cleveland at home in april i think there's a game there and then they finish with milwaukee but that game's at home also but they have a couple games to get it. it's atlanta in there so i mean it looks pretty yeah. good man i'm not i'm not saying but i'm just saying
1: so let's play a let's play a, a little game first before we get into uh jaleel okafor uh no i want to really quick i think it's important that we kind of talk about the uh the, the real screw-up that Adam Silver has committed, he's he's committed a crime on multiple occasions by leaving Ben Simmons off of the All-Star team. And Goran Dragic is a guy who made, I think he was the first alternate that was picked. And Dragic making the All-Star team doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless the criteria that Adam Silver was using was either to go specifically off of what the coach's vote was, which I don't know if we ever had access to or if it was just to try to capture some of the Miami uh, the Miami crowd. But Dragic is currently averaging 17 points a game, which is up about 3.5 points from his, his career average. His assist numbers are about the same. His shooting percentage is about the same. Three-point field goal percentage is about the same. But when you compare his, his numbers to the rookie Ben Simmons, Simmons blows him out of the water. Uh, the only stat or the only two stats that Dragic is ahead of Simmons on are points per game, which he leads him by a full point, and three-point shooting. And that's it. Ben uh, Ben shoots a higher percentage from the floor. Ben averages more uh, free throw attempts per game. He averages uh, three and a half or four rebounds more per game. He's averaging three more assists per game. He's averaging twice as many steals per game, a block more per game. I I don't get it. I know that the optics of the way that that uh, All Star teams are constructed and the way that coaches vote and the way that uh, these things get put together. You know, I get that a lot of that has to do with what the team's record is. Hence, why Bradley Beal and John Wall made the uh, the All Star team, and they they you know represent one of the top three top four teams in the conference so people thought that they deserved to have two they thought that Boston deserved to have two because they had Kyrie Irving and Al Horford and they were having such a great season mm-hmm. and that people were were worried or didn't like the optics of giving what was perceived at the time to be probably like an eighth or ninth seed Sixers team to all-stars but you know on the flip side of that you had Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins they were playing seventh, for seven seed for okay you know DeMarcus and Anthony Davis are both starters for the Western Conference and they they were in the same kind of boat they were a fringe playoff team in their conference right now DeMarcus is down but I, I don't get the double standard I don't know if it's because the team is young I don't know if it's because so many people had these like unrealistically high expectations for what the Sixers would be because the Eastern Conference is devoid of talent but I don't get it I really don't and the, the concept that Dragic should have been the first alternate doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I don't know how you felt about it. I don't know. I don't know if, if those kind of conversations pop up when you're in a media room with the rest of the beat writers or not, but I do. don't totally understand it. Yeah, they do.
0: I mean, we talk about that stuff and I, I think like, I mean, I would kind of answer that with like a question to you kind of, I mean, it's kind of like a, um, Jesus, what the, I can't, it's like escaping me. What's the question that you ask when I don't really want you to answer it? Uh, a rhetorical, rhetorical question rhetorical question yeah there we like, go like what is what is the what is the all-star game you know it's like do you do you see it as like a uh, you know a, a showcase of nba talent um is it uh like a marketing thing where you can you know say hey look at our superstars uh, we're broadcasting this in like 200 countries or something or is it um you know based on merit a reward based on the merit of how guys play on the floor you know I mean like it's a promise it can be like defined in so many different ways I, I think in a perfect world the way I always look at it when I covered the union for all these years I always got pissed off because it was all for MLS it was a younger league it was about like marketing and star power and stuff like that so guys who are more deserving always got passed up just because they said hey we got to get our like foreign superstars into the game you know but if that's the case who's more exciting Ben Simmons or Goran Dragic I mean, well, I was
1: going to say that the three criteria that you had even mentioned, I think Ben wins all of them.
0: He does pretty much, pretty much hands he, down. He does, does he not? So, I mean, I guess the explanation as to why like Dragic would be in there is that his team was a little bit better. Maybe you could make the case that he's dragging guys like Tyler Johnson and Justice Winslow and and Richardson and Johnson to the sixth seed or the seventh seed or whatever they were at the time. Um, and the only really other great player that he's alongside is like Hassan Whiteside, I guess. And people were saying, well, you know, Ben has Joel with him and whenever, and, you know, he can't shoot a jumper or whatever the hell. I, I don't, I mean, I don't really buy it. I mean, if you look at what Ben's done from from day one through now, it's been pretty consistent, you know. I mean, he came out uh, flying, you know. And that's why if you go to the rookie of the year race too, I mean, like Ben's been doing what he's been doing since day one. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is not. So I almost said Donovan McNabb there by accident. Um, Thank God you didn't. I know, right? but we'll get to him later. No, we, no, we no, won't. No,
1: no, we certainly will not. <laughs> but listen, like, no, but like, like, but you know but,
0: what I'm saying, Russ? It's not, it's not like yeah. like Dragic, I get it. He's a veteran guy. He's having a nice, um, you know, a nice season. But to me, the only all-star in Miami is Eric Spolstra. So. Wow. That's, that's a lot. How's that for a take? That's probably the first I, NBA take that, that I've ever dropped, you know? it's a pretty terrible. And by time, the way, why did how, how did things become a take? Like now any opinion that you give is like a hot take and people are just ready to tell you that you're wrong and and tweet the old takes exposed guy and like let you know that you're an asshole, you know. I just think it's interesting that it was your first take.
1: Um here's the here's the issue I have. So, I think more than the Ben versus Dragic comparison outright, I think it's also the fact that like Dragic made it over a guy like Andre Drummond who's averaging a double-double and I think Still, to this point, is averaging more rebounds than points, but it's like fourteen and fifteen. Well, Kemba, like that guy was deserving. And, yeah, and, that guy was deserving to make the the All Star team. Kemba Walker, Kemba Walker averages Walker's more, better, yeah. like averages yeah. more points, more assists, shoots a higher field goal percentage, higher three point percentage. Like, I get that their team isn't that great, but in fairness, like if we're gonna go by numbers, if we're gonna go by an exciting player, like Goran Dragic doesn't even make it. And might I even point out that he's not? He doesn't even have the coolest Dragic name in the league Zoran Dragić is definitely <laughs> superior. Kind of say It's a lot Ibrahimović uh, name.
0: Goran Dragić looks like Benedict Cumberbatch, does he not? A little bit. Yeah, yeah he it's was like like in uh, that weird patchy mustache. Yeah, he's uh he, I mean, look, as far as uh point guards go, he's a, he's a great player, but um I I just I mean, I don't I don't see it. But it's um you know, that stuff makes Ben like, he's really motivated by that stuff, you can tell. I mean, what did he what did he go for the other night? Like, 18, uh, 10 and 12, 18, 12 and 10, something like that. Um, he plays with a chip on his shoulder, and he doesn't... Like, I get the sense that Ben doesn't feel like he's part of, like, the NBA circle or whatever. I, I think he feels like they treat him like an outsider, and, like, there's a little bit of disrespect there. And um, that, that motivates him, man. I can tell. He's, he's like, very short with us, like, very short with the media. <laughs> Like The other night we were trying to ask him stuff about that jump shot that went in, the one that was waved, waved off on the, the goofy-ass like sh- shot clock violation. That was not a shot clock violation. Um, and they corrected it, I mean, as they should have. But he hit like a 20-footer, and it was like the longest um, shot that he's hit so far in his career. And we asked him about it, like, does that give you the confidence to want to wanna shoot some more of them? Now you see that those are going in. And he's like, oh, I know I can make it. And then like, and then like, uh, John Johnson follows up. He's like, are we, you know, are you going to see more of him?" He's like, definitely. He's giving us like one word answers about his, um, about his jump shot. His entire like media availability was like two minutes. And, uh, it's just funny. Cause I think he's like, I don't think he dislikes the media. Like, I just don't think he's like, he's like, I don't have time for this shit. You know, kind of like, he just wants to focus on basketball. He's like a stone cold killer. He just wants to play call of duty and play basketball. And I, I don't blame the kid. You know I mean? If, fans should be happy that that's how he is because at the end of the day it doesn't matter what he says to us and whether he likes us or not but it's also weird because like and i wrote this i wrote this about wrote about this on thursday um is that like you know he just like seems to be like annoyed by those questions but the reason we ask about the the jump shot all the time is because that's just the one part of his game that it's it's not we don't approach it from like a negative thing or like harp on something that's like um you know, we're not trying to, like, beat him down with the jump shot thing. But, like, that's the only thing that he really needs to make him a perennial superstar. I mean, he's already got everything else, you know, putting up triple doubles as a rookie. So I think the reason we talk about his jumper so much and he, we ask him those questions, which I think he gets annoyed by, is just because we see what kind of elite player he can really be if he if he adds that to his game. I mean, there's, it's no coincidence that LeBron came out and said that, hey, you can be as good as me someday, maybe better. Yeah, I mean, he's... Uh...
1: He he's easily outperformed. I think what anybody's expectations would have been, and in, in even its its highest form, um, I think in a similar way that Joel burst onto the scene and kind of shocked the world by by how good he was right away. We knew Ben was good, but I think maybe the the number one thing that's been the the biggest surprise, the best surprise, has been his defense. He's using that six foot ten frame to uh, to his advantage. He's guarding multiple positions, and he is making. Uh, he's making the opposition's life on the offensive side of of uh, the court uh, a living nightmare, and it's definitely something that he had been uh, criticized for coming out of LSU. Is that you know he lacked defensive effort? Uh, if you remember back when the uh, the draft was coming up and people were starting to get enamored with Brandon Ingram and his ridiculous wingspan and his ability to seemingly nail a shot from anywhere, mm-hmm. the the biggest crowd that were pro Ingram. Over Ben Simmons were were based on the thought that Ingram was going to become the next Kevin Durant use that wingspan and become a a defensive terror where Ben you know supposedly had slow feet and had you know displayed a uh, an unwillingness to defend on the ball. I think that might be like the number one thing and I, I wonder how much of that has to do with Brett how much of it has to do with guys like TJ who run around like their hair is on fire uh and also like not being afraid to take a risk defensively going for a steal knowing that you've got joel you know guarding the hoop
0: behind you yeah i mean he's got long arms he's really athletic and um you know it's funny how you know even when they they play as bad as they did in the first half the other night they're always going to be in games if they play the kind of defense that they do i mean their defensive rating is what like like third i think it's third or fourth right now in the nba yep um and they held miami which to- is which is nutty for for as young as this
1: team is you do not see young teams getting even near the top 10 in defensive efficiency yeah. to be in the top three top four in the entire league it, it it speaks to the culture that brett brown has been establishing for these past few years like it, it really is incredible well, and,
0: yeah, and brett was joking the other day because we we were asking about like you know i think it was Celtics and like uh you know what did you say to marco bellinelli when you were talking to him on the phone about recruiting him to come to Philadelphia and Brett said you know I, he agreed to let me yell at him about his defense you know because Mark Marco Bellinelli is not like uh Bruce Bowen out there as we all know uh, you know so that was going to be a key if he was going to come play for this team you're gonna have to play the same kind of defense that everybody else does um and so I think a lot of it yeah it does have to do with Brett but I think we everybody just underestimated Ben's just raw talent and his raw athleticism you know when you got that kind of wingspan out there and you're, you're playing a six foot 10 point guard I mean um, you know it's 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 hard to state how 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 difficult it is to move the ball around when you have so much athleticism out there. Yeah.
1: Um. Really quick, I think it's also important that we talk about a former Sixer who uh, went on to much greener pastures in Brooklyn. Who, um, you know, it, in the immediate aftermath of the trade, Jaleel Okafor was looked at by the Brooklyn media as a reclamation project, but also somebody who had. You know, great potential. And after all, uh, you got to acquire a second-round pick, and all you had to give up was—and uh, you got Nick Stauskas, and all you had to give up was Trevor Booker. Um, all those people seem to have gone away really quickly. It was kind of like the fire, Brett Brown crew that's essentially disappeared from Sixers Twitter for the better part of like the last week and a half, two weeks. Yeah. All of those people beating the drum that Jaw was a uh, was going to be a great addition to the uh, Brooklyn Nets. I always want to call them New Jersey Nets and go back to the uh, yeah, yeah. Jason the Jason kid Kenyon Martin and uh, Vince Carter glory days. <laughs> um, the the fact that Ja has proven to be just as bad as he ever was in Philadelphia. Uh, I I don't I don't get Schadenfreude from this. Um, I I did think that Ja was going to eventually care enough to learn how to defend or or to sp- like this vegan diet was somehow going to make him quicker. But Cog and toboggin wrote for the website today, uh, he pretty much did a roundup of all of these uh, Nets writers and uh, and Nets fans. One stat that popped out uh, was that the Nets have lost their last six games. They are a minus uh, 70 net rating in Jaleel Okafor's 77 minutes uh, on the floor in those six games. Mm. They're a plus 10 the minutes he's not on the court. And I feel... I saw earlier this week, and I, the number might be off by a slight bit, but Brooklyn is projected as a like thirty-eight win win team without Jaleel Okafor on the floor. With him on the floor, they they are projected to be. I think it's a two or three win team. Hmm. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah. That I is... mean, like we knew his net rating was was awful, but oh, yeah. like yeah. that's that's all kinds of historical, by far historical worsts in the NBA.
0: Well. Yeah, and I'm kind of like you. I mean, I didn't want to, you know, I'm not rooting for the guy to fail or anything like that. And I was kind of neutral on him at the beginning of the year, hoping that, uh, you know, maybe you know this new diet and his new you know attitude or whatever kind of help, helps him out, you know, and and he can give you something off the bench, eight to ten points off the bench. But I mean, not just um, you know it is Russ. It's just not it. Not even just um, looking at him physically or like athletically or anything like that. He just like like mentally on the defensive end he just looks like he's like completely lost you know um he looks like he doesn't know what he's supposed to do or where he's supposed to be and and for as as polished as he as he came out you know on the offensive side of the of the floor that rookie year I mean I don't know how you can have that that much of a how how you can be drastically that much worse defensively you know and it's like you know, his skill set, it's kind of strange. It's almost like a, uh, it's like an anachronism, if you think about it. And, like, when, when I say anachronism, I mean, like, it's... um, That's, like, something that appears in one time period that doesn't really, like, fit in that time period. You know, so if you had, like, for example, like a, uh, you know, a painting from, like, the 1700s, but a guy was wearing, like, a baseball hat. You know, you'd say, okay, that doesn't match up. That's not... That's, like, incorrect, right? So that's an anachronism. That's your... Le- I think I saw that on Pawn Stars once. There you go. That's, that's your... Um, your English lesson for the day, but like his, so that. his skill set is, is exactly that. I mean, like he's got a big man, like low post game in an NBA that is much more about tempo and pace and, and stretching the floor these days. And he just looks uh, completely lost on the defensive end. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's valid validation. It's justification uh, to the Sixers for getting rid of him. But I mean, you can always go back in hindsight then and say, well, you know, what if they had, um, Porzingis instead but it's not like I mean people want to then go back and correct history and say everybody was calling for Porzingis back then they really weren't
1: no they yeah that that's like one of the narratives that I think drives me the craziest is you know the the pro-hinky people the anti-hinky people they all want to harp on this Okafor pick and then like spinning the conspiracy of was it a Josh Harris forced move to go with Ja over Kristaps we I don't know why people tend to forget the fact that Kristaps shared the same agent that Nerlens Noel had, and presumably the entire reason that he wouldn't allow Kristaps to work out for uh, the Sixers was because he didn't want to have another one of his players, uh, you know, playing on the same team in, and creating a logjam. Even though they didn't know if if uh, Joel was ever going to play, they figured that if he w- if he was going to come back, you know, now he's gonna you know I guess lower the value, the free agent value or or the contractual value of uh, yeah. one of his players by letting them play on the same team. But poor had, had little to no interest in playing here, or at least his agent did. It wasn't something that was really on the table. It, like you, I don't know if we've had anyone that's been drafted in like the last two or three years where they have uh, the player or the agent has definitively come out and said that they do not want their player to get drafted to that, to that team. And then the player refused to play, you know, but I, I don't, I don't remember an an, yeah, an NBA yeah. team, you know, defying the wishes of an agent in public. Like it was almost like the the only thing that I can think of where something like that happened was uh, when Eli Manning was drafted by San Diego. Right? Uh, yeah, right, uh, right. But that that was all because they had a trade worked out to send him elsewhere but he he even hated the optics of you know having to wear the Chargers stuff on draft that's just day, so. all i
0: mean all that stuff's a waste of time you could sit here forever and say you know let's redo the entire 2014 draft or you know they should have had this guy instead of this guy and they should have whatever you know eagles fans for years said well we could have had earl thomas over brandon graham right and well brandon graham just won you your first super bowl ever you know so I'm not saying that's Julia Loca for by any means, but you know what I mean? It's like, that's all like, it's all arbitrary bullshit that you can just say, well, we could have had this guy instead of this guy, or we should have done this instead of this. And most of the time, the only re- the time there's any validation for any of that is when the Cleveland Browns fuck it up. Like they always do. But you know, other than that, you're just correcting things in an arbitrary nature. So it just seems like a waste of time. But you know, right back then, I, don't, I really don't remember anybody clamoring for Porzingis and the New York Knicks fans didn't want him, you know, as you, as you clearly know. Yep, they they booed the hell out of him when he got drafted. Yeah, they gave him a, the I can't believe I'm gonna mention him again, but they gave him a Donovan McNabb treatment. That's two Donovan mentions and one uh I just died on the inside a little bit. I mentioned bit. Donovan twice in this podcast and I have I didn't mention Nick Foles or Carson Wentz once. You didn't mention Landon Donovan either, who's now playing in Mexico. Yeah, that's some uh shit too. let's
1: I, I have uh I have a, a little game to play. And it is uh, it is parallel time. I always like to say that so many of the things that happen in Philadelphia sports would just make a lot more sense if you followed all five Philadelphia sports teams, and I'm not including the soul or the wings in that. I mean the Philadelphia Union. <clears throat> Kevin, if you had to compare one Philadelphia 76er to the great CJ Sapong, who would it be?
0: <laughs> uh... It's a good question a uh, guy who gets like hacked and never gets a f- foul call. Maybe um, I don't know. You know, he's kind of got that uh, Trevor Booker kind of game to him, doesn't he? You know, a real yeah. energy guy. He's a real hustle guy, yeah. you know, maybe not the most Let's... polished attacker offensively, but he's going to give you a <laughs> He's going to
1: give you Does that. anybody win the uh, who wins the I, I think I think we can retroactively go back and say this is jaw. But who wins the Elsino award for showing up overweight? Oh God,
0: um, yeah, it's John. Yeah, it's got to be John. Yeah, of I mean, it has to be. Yeah, yeah. How about that? too? any all that? Any, the only think, thing anybody has to know about the union right now, if there are any union fans listening to this, is that they're in line for another bullshit season right now. I'm I'm like completely bored with that team. Who wins the
1: Roland Alberg award for? Uh, for somebody who's narcissistic enough to go up and uh,
0: try to force somebody to off the free throw line, you don't have to answer that. Sixers so don't, don't really like have that. any of those guys, man. they they like each other, you know. They're cool. They're, uh, there's no like bad apples in there, you know. I think they're all. Um, I who? think they. I think they have some good chemistry in the locker room, man. I think they really do get along and they really like each other,
1: you know. All right, last one. Who is the Andre Blake of the team, the guy who will presumably come out of nowhere? And could eventually move on to a a
0: title contending team if it is not here. Well, he's kind of like Joel because generally the Union are dog shit when he doesn't play. That's um, well, not to take away anything from the backup goalkeeper, but like he's your best dude, and you know, like when you don't have him, things are, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, things just ain't the same. All right, um, that's your Union minute. I,
1: yeah, <laughs> the Union minute. Um, really quick, I don't know if anybody caught it. Uh, I, I tweeted it out this morning. There's a, a podcast I really like it's called Reply All. They did a a the second half of their most recent episode uh titled Trust the Process. They they hit on um the concept of what Trust the Process was. They brought somebody in from I think NPR who is I guess a Sixers fan but he was anti-Hinkie. Mm. And I love Reply All. I think they do a great job, but I was a bit underwhelmed by the NPR guy. He uh he just missed he missed a lot of uh of the the context
0: of of the way the things went Well, down. you mean like NPR was kind of dry? I'm stunned.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm stunned that NPR was uh didn't really have the, you know, the they didn't have the, the energy or the enthusiasm or like the, you know, that moxie that you get on the mm. on the Crossing broadcast. Yeah.
1: That that that's
0: yeah. Uh, hey, real quick, you. I uh, are we going to talk believe... about? Are we going to uh, mention the Eagles? Though? Do we have anything to say about the Eagles? They won the Super Bowl. They did, and you know what? I'm kind of like annoyed that people on. Well, I mean, I don't know why I would use this as judgment, like, but on sports radio, like, people are calling in and like want to talk about, like, well, what do we, you know? Next year, who who stays and who goes, or should uh, should you trade Foles for a bunch of draft picks, or you know, is, uh, is Carson Wentz going to be ready? It's like, dude, like they just won the first Super Bowl in franchise history and people want to like call and like like do this whole like song and dance already like man just bask in it just enjoy it man you just had the parade like i mean it's such a typical philly sports fan thing that they're like already ready to move on from like the greatest triumph that this city has ever known
1: i i guess i can't disagree with you but like there's no rest for the weary they won Move well on. now the people getting greedy they're like well we've we want got you know we we got need a, a din- season we need to need prepare dynasty. season <laughs> we've got gabe kapler showing up with like his skin tight shirts on kapler, right like yeah, right, yeah. they're bringing they're bringing the powder blue uniforms back for thursday do you games. have anything like,
0: to say, like are you a big do you know anything about baseball or is, like bob, bob yeah. just gonna be our baseball guy this year i know some stuff about because i don't really i love october baseball man but i, I feel like you know between the uh, eagles and the sixers in the union like i just can't i can't fit any more like information oh. you know by the way, I have a baseball point to make.
1: I want someone to eat crow. It could be every human being who tweeted at me in the spring when I brought this up, and uh, I've I've already confronted Kyle about it a little bit. Uh, I will confront him about it tomorrow when I go to uh, help him do some shirts, which I know you've been doing. Uh, mm. You'll be down there tomorrow, right? We'll, we'll be. Uh... Uh, I believe so. So oh, that that'll be yeah. fun. Um, it came out. Jim Salisbury was uh, the one who tweeted it out a few days ago. Uh, that Tommy Joseph was taking ground balls at third base. I brought this up in the spring, mostly as a joke, but I said that Mike Franco was such trash uh, last season that what's the worst that it could have done to have Tommy Joseph take a few reps at third base? Uh, obviously, what could go wrong is he could give up, you know, like he can have four errors out at the hot corner, but um, he took some grounders at third, and I felt vindicated. And I know that it is one thing to take some uh just some ground balls at third and it's another thing to play in a spring training game and it's another thing to actually play in a regular season game at third but hell if they're going to send reese hoskins out to the outfield to let carlos santana put his guitar down and play first base then you know let let tommy go out there maybe you know i think tommy joseph is the new underdog i think he's a guy that we need to embrace tommy joseph the third baseman he's an underdog i don't know if you heard this or not kevin but Underdogs and the city of Philadelphia mm-hmm.
0: go really well together. Well, you know what? I just don't, in my limited baseball knowledge, like I feel like I can't really make good micro points, but I think I have like a kind of macro grasp of it. And like I like this rotation, like I mean, this pitching staff going into this year. I mean, what do you really have in this with the starting pitching group this year?
1: It's all stuff you're used I to. I mean, you've got Nola, Velasquez trying to strike guys out and hope his
0: arm doesn't blow up, Eflin. I mean, I mean, there's nothing like, like Matt Klintak. There's what what the, what they need to do more than anything is they need to somebody needs to go like Doug Peterson needs to sit down and talk to them and and like like give them like a you know put them in front of the mirror or something and say like Matt Klintak, you tell yourself that you are a mean motherfucker and that you are gonna be a big market team. You know everything they've done so far has been like kind of like I don't know like mid market kind of like whatever. Like you gotta like. Go do it. This is a big sports market. You're the Phillies. You know you had a great run not long ago. Um, you know they can't be like pussyfooting around here with these like half ass moves and conservative stuff. Like just go do it, man. Just go be a big market team because that's what you are.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing that drives me nuts too. Like I've been beating this drum. I, I started this when we started the podcast a year ago. One of the things that I kept saying was, as somebody who was a fan of the Union, like they had the ability for, I don't know, like the last five, six years to finally capitalize on the fact that the Phillies were trash and, and there is literally nothing going on in the city of Philadelphia. The team, like the city was once again, starving for
0: a championship. The Sixers were were tanking. The the Flyers weren't that great. I mean, the Eagles weren't that great. I mean, for the longest time, the only team
1: that, that actually won at any point in the spring or the summer around here was the soul. And, uh, you know, that's what having a cheap owner will do. Uh, they never capitalized. And like, Now that the Phillies are at least kind of interesting, now that the fact that they have, you know, they will be capturing most headlines with stuff that Gabe Kapler will probably say. um, Knowing that they have an exciting young core of position players, and like there, I'm assuming that between the fourth and the fifth rotation spots, there will be a a pretty heated battle. And and I think just like any team, when you are in the uh, the rebuilding phase, or you're in, you know, in the the what what does it hurt to call up a couple prospects? for a few spot starts like if nothing else you're gonna at least have a a nice little bit of banter going on back and forth about you know who should really round out the rotation um akin to like what the flyers have had all season with like brandon manning or andrew mcdonald you know why are those guys starting and and a guy like travis sanheim is down in the minors yeah well Uh, and the thing or was like the seventh the seventh defenseman like these are the kind of things that we always have like do you want to have the journeyman guy go in to provide you stability in the fifth rotation spot or do you want to have a young kid go out there like there there are no expectations for this Phillies team this year it cannot hurt to put a prospect in there uh, like unless you're really that worried that him going out and getting shelled a couple of starts is going to like destroy his confidence and maybe it will like I don't I don't know how these guys in the minor league system are going to do but or, or like where their heads are at but you know, in a season where there are no expectations, it doesn't hurt to get guys reps.
0: No, I mean, that I, I agree with that. I, I don't, you know, at least with... It's the same thing with Markell. No.
1: Like you were saying No, before. you're right.
0: You're right. I mean, I don't, at least for the first time in a while, I feel like there's people on this Phillies team that make me want to tune in and watch. You know, I want to see what Reese Hoskins does this year. You know, I, I hope it's a continuation of what it was last year and not some, you know, Dom, Dom Brown lightning in a, in a bottle, God forbid. You know, Aaron Altair is interesting to watch. You know, let's see what Carlos Santana does. But, you um, you know, so so they're round in the corner here. It's it's interesting because I think like all four, the quote unquote four major teams are gonna all kind of come come into to form at the same time here. It's and it's the Brian Elliott injury is a friggin' killer too, man. Because like, you know, just when this team was finally getting interesting to watch, um, I mean, Michael Neuwirth is is not you know c- consistent enough. I mean he, he the, the swings in his great performances versus his not so great performances is like a gulf, you know. And so I just I just don't think they I mean I'm I'm kind of down on the Flyers after that injury, but you know, so I think a lot of it's on the Sixers now, is it not? I mean because the Phillies are just going to be starting the Flyers might kind of limp to the finish here depending on what kind of goaltending they get. And uh, the the Eagles are done. So like kind of the onus now is on the um the Sixers and the the Union are probably going to be dog shit again, you know. Um, so that's kind of where you're at now, you know, Yep, that's the outlook.
1: Is there, this is the, I guess the, the last crossover point to make, but the, uh, the Carlos Valdez saga, does that, does the faults thing remind you of that at all? The agent, the agent issues and the, uh, the, the seeming lack of communication and, uh, cohesion in the message that's coming out of the agent and the, uh, the team.
0: Yeah, that's a good comparison, actually. I, You know, because I, I kind of compare the Fultz thing a little bit to the, the Maurice Adu situation. Um, if people aren't familiar with that, Maurice Adu was the Philadelphia Union captain, and he was the second highest paid player on the team. Um, and he had a stress fracture in 2016 that turned into a broken leg like a separate broken leg of the year after, and so he went two years without playing. But the difference in the Marisa Duce situation was that we actually knew what the injury was. It was just like, is he going to play? Is he going to play? And the injury just never really healed right, you know. So, but the Foltz thing, yeah, is more like the Carlos Valdez thing, where the agent says one thing and then the family member says another thing, and then you got the shooting coach who was over here. Um, you know, the sticking point there is that they're on completely different pages. And while Marisa Duce's injury happened on his own with personal trainers, kind of in the same way that Markel Fultz's injury happened. Um, there was never any disagreement between Marisa due's people and the union people, at least not that what I heard, you know? So the biggest takeaway for me, the biggest long-term concern I have with Markel, you know, whether he can shoot or not or whether he gets it back together mentally, it's like, what is his relationship like with the Sixers? And what's the relationship like with his people? You know, I mean, if you're not surrounding yourself with the right people um, or if those people don't get along with, your new people then that's always going to be the biggest roadblock
1: uh last thing before we get and going they uh, sorry this they th-
0: thought that valdez's knees were were busted too when he came back in 2014 that's why there's a discrepancy there because he thought he was healthy and his agent thought he was healthy and the union said i don't know his knees aren't what they're supposed to be
1: is that because he was riding a bike and he hit a uh, a dirt jump the wrong way you know and i can't, can't speak <laughs> some imbalance in his knees <laughs> i cannot speak to that i know people have mocked that theory but i really want that
0: to be the case well nobody knows, i, I, I mean, want nobody to knows, the reason you know? that this all all one side and l- listen i mean it's it's not unfortunately the longer you hold markel away from the media the more of a feeding frenzy it's going to be when he comes back with like 400 people in front of him trying to all get their question in and, and I mean, you've created that monster now for yourself. You've painted yourself into a corner where that's what it is eventually going to have to be. You know, he went on TNT during the broadcast the other night and did the thing with Karam Butler. Uh, Karam Butler has the same agent as uh, Markel Fultz, um, Raymond Brothers, and uh, you know answered like three planned questions ahead of time to do some media with that. And look, I don't, I don't want to kill a 19 year old kid. And like in a perfect world, all of the beat writers get together and we say, hey, let's, we're not going to. You know, murder the kid. We're just going to say, look, Markel, hey, the floor is yours. Just tell us what happened. Go from the beginning. um, You know, what do you want to say? What can you tell us? And try to get it out of him that way, you know, because it's not fair then for them to put him. If the Sixers aren't going to tell you what the hell happened and they're going to put it on him, then you're throwing your 19 year old kid out there to get slaughtered by the media, you know, and there's too many media people in this this town who are unwilling to work together with the group and who are going to go ask their own questions and be assholes about it and, like, disrupt the whole whole flow and and be counterproductive, you know?
1: Yeah, and here's the—I guess, like, the only thing that I guess bothers me right now is if the team was looking to to take the proverbial bullet for Fultz, assuming that, like, Fultz really did try to alter his jump shot to eliminate a hitch or to speed up the release— and and the whole reason that they've been so shady is because they didn't want Fultz to take the blame as, like, he tinkered with this, you know, by all intents or by by all accounts, an effective shot, probably the reason that he got drafted number one overall. The fact that he went and, like, changed that shot and screwed it up himself, or he and his trainer screwed it up, and now the team doesn't want the fans to be irate with Fultz. I mean, like, the problem with it is, that Brett Brown kind of let that cat out of the bag in the beginning of the season, right? Like, he he had he had come out and said early on that that Markell made some adjustments to his shot uh, on his own. So that was already out there, like that was already public. Yeah, and then comment. when I
0: asked him about it, he said, "Well, we're making too, you guys are making too much of a big deal out of this thing." And so to me, if if there was if they weren't on the same page here and and um, they knew that something was going on with Markel, then just don't put him don't put him in front of the media at all, you know. Just shut it. Shut and it. And what
1: constitutes, like, what constitutes making it too big of a deal? He's the number one overall pick. You made a deal with your rival. You made a deal with the team that, like, long after LeBron James is on the the downside of his career, long after he's either bolted for the West or, like, I don't know, tried to create his own new super team with like Paul George or gone to, to Houston or LA or wherever the heck he's gonna go. You know, the the team that's gonna be standing in your way that you're really going to have to be fearful of isn't going to be Toronto. It's not going to be Washington. It's going to be Boston. And the fact that now you've tied up a future asset that could become like Luka Doncic, uh, like that is, that is frightening to the max. Or, you know, that pick can then be parlayed for another star. Like, you helped your rival get better to go up and move up and get this kid because you thought he was the perfect complement, and he hasn't played all season. I don't know how like anybody from the the team, from the front office, from the coaching staff could say that that the media or the fans are making too big of a deal out of it. He's the number one overall pick, and he seems to have forgotten how to shoot a basketball. I don't know. I don't know how you can make too big of a deal out of it. And the fact, look, I almost wish they had lied. I wish they had said, oh, there was structural damage. He's going to be out, you know, for a few months. Uh, we we found something in his shoulder. There there was structural damage. Lie. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. That's fine. Lie to us so that, that we can say, man, oh, th- this is good. Look, he's making progress. He's coming back. He's trying to get shots up. But when the media, uh, like when, when Mo- I think it was Molly Sullivan, tweets out a video, or is it just Camerato, one of them, when they tweet out the video of Fultz going behind, you know, um, going with a reverse full court shot, you know, that shows that his shoulder is fine, right? Like, mm-hmm. that that shows that he has full range of motion in when his shoulder. Hanging,
0: when he's hanging on the rim after a dunk for five seconds after the dunk with his arms above his head, I'm sure he's fine. I just don't... Know?
1: Like, sometimes I, I wonder if he's trying to subtweet the front office that by, like, him going out and taking these shots and showing off that he can get out and dunk and he can make short-range shots. Like, I'm wondering if this is just his his 19-year-old way of trying to say like I could get in games and I could make a difference. It's and like uh, I, I I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure
0: that he could be an effective player for the. This team. is what I walked you already into. have one point guard who doesn't shoot. Oh yeah, right, yeah. Well, this is what I walked into in on day one of the beat. You know, hey, welcome to the Sixers beat. You're uh, dealing with the Markel Markel fault shit right off the bat. You know, but I mean, it just. Um, they made their own bed, you know. Both both sides did, you know, because if um you know if Markel's working with his own people on the side, or he did something stupid to injure himself, or tried to change a shot on his own, he made his own bed in that regard. And the Sixers, um, you know, botched the handling of the public relations side of it, so they made their own bed as well. And so all of this will come to a head. Uh, sooner, hopefully, rather than later, and I mean the only message I would say to Sixers fans is: Look, you've you've come this far, and you've sat through this crap before, so you're almost there. There's like a light at the end of the tunnel. We'll get to it eventually, and um, you know it's difficult for me, and I think other guys in the media and the other the other uh, the guys and gals, all of us on the beat, is that you know, like I said, you're trying to be fair to the kid, and you don't want to kill the kid. Um, I mean, obviously, mentally, I can't even imagine what the guy's going through right now, just the, the extra pressure on top of it. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, I do feel like we have a responsibility to say, look, if this is all you're going to give us is him out here shooting for a little bit, then we kind of have to shoot it, you know, so it's a balancing act. I don't want to kill the kid. I don't want to be an asshole. But I'm trying to be, you know, trying to do my job at the same time and say, hey, here's what they're putting out in front of us.
1: All right, so this weekend we have some good things to look forward to. We've got a uh, NBA All-Star uh the Rising Stars Challenge is going to be coming up. Um we've got Joel Embiid, Dario Šarić and Ben Simmons all playing uh for the World Team. Did I miss anybody on that?
0: No, I just well, you know, we played Embiid not playing the other night. Now the Optics just look kind of bad of him going out and play and doing three activities in the for All-Star weekend, you know. Like I you know, I get it. Like, it just looks corny. It's like, well, he wasn't healthy enough to play Wednesday, but he's going to go play this weekend uh, in like meaningless stuff, you know? But, um, and playing a back to back. I mean, he probably won't play that many minutes, but. <laughs> but if I told you, I mean, Russ, if I told you that he's, you know, at this point in the season, you're going to get 40, uh, what it is, he played 44 games or something out of out of 55, and that he was going to play 16 out of the last 18, and that he would be doing a couple that he's already done two back to back so far this year. Um I think in a vacuum you would you would take that would you not you know but I just yeah, think it, have to. I just think the optics are kind of crappy based on you know he sat out the last game before the all-star break
1: yeah that's fair all right so we have that to look forward to um not to end it on a down note we all saw what happened uh at a school in Florida um the the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland uh and one of the the people that it hit close to home with was uh, Shane Goss's Bear of the Flyers. Um, he was interviewed um, th- through multiple outlets about it. Um, he, I guess, attended that high school before he moved up to uh, to New England to continue mm-hmm. his uh, his playing um, to get prepared for what has been a successful NHL career thus far. Um, it, it sucks, and for somebody in my profession, it makes you just question pretty much everything uh it makes you question uh every kind of policy every kind of procedure that you have and it and as a parent it, it makes you even that much more um mindful of of you know how screwed up this world is and how sports is supposed to be an escape from it but um uh I, I know some people hate the uh the concept of thoughts and prayers
0: but it it is a thing and um i don't want to get political well here, i would like to shout out um if there's any positive way to to go at this, I would like to shout out, I think it was the football coach or the assistant football coach. I think he was a security guard at the school um, who literally jumped in front of bullets to protect the students there. And he ended up dying from his wounds. But when you talk about these things that seem to happen all the time, you know, I just hope they keep the focus on those people and the victims. And instead of showing the Shooter's face all over the news and talking about what happened to him or her. Uh, you know, ma- make that the story. You know, that should always be the story of the people um, who were affected and the people who did what they did, the heroic stuff that they did, like this guy. Yep. Yeah, that coach's name was uh,
1: Aaron, Aaron Feist. Feist Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah. Yep but no, you're totally right. It's, it's time to stop glorifying the, uh, the killer and start, you know, we have a lot of, uh, the people who, who've made a as difference. as political
0: as I'll get, as I'll just say, we have a lot of, like, we as Americans have a lot of things to think about right now. You know, we're kind of at this crossroads here where it's time to figure out what we re- where we're really going with this country, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, you and I both grew up in, a. Uh, in two areas that I I would think would not be considered the most progressive minded no on these topics. But I think there's even been a, a bit of a paradigm shift recently in, in the, the outlets that I've, I've checked out about where I grew up. So I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll see how that, how that continues to play out. But uh, that was worth mentioning. Absolutely, man. All right. So uh, this has been the crossing broadcast. Uh, Keep it going on Twitter we've got all-star weekend coming up adam is uh is gonna be at the all-star game i guess covering stuff for bleacher report drink um no word on if he will be there with sims drink or if sims will have that top button buttoned uh drink again um but anyway he's there uh he won't be with us on monday i think kyle will be back on monday assuming that he gets out from under the pile of philly special shirts and the uh no one likes his shirt um Kevin and I are going to go down, and we're going to try to uh, bail him out tomorrow. So hopefully, the website will continue to function and, and survive. Um, I, I feel like it's not a good thing that the three of us are all going to be in the same area. We, we made this joke. You, uh, you had gone at this point, uh, the, the, the day of the parade, mm-hmm. but uh, I think we had both investors, Kyle, me, I want to say Bob, uh, Phil, and maybe someone else. We were all in the elevator together. And we were like, if this elevator goes down, who runs the website? Me and uh, me yeah. and
0: Coggin, I guess, would be the only ones left, right?
1: It it's sounds like, about right. Uh,
0: that um, the crappy drama that with uh, Kiefer Sutherland that's on TV right now. What's it called?
1: Designated yeah. Survivor. Yo, whoa, whoa. Let's not go crappy. Oh, I don't okay? know. I only saw like I only saw the yeah, first. I only saw one episode. I only <laughs> saw the first season. Well, of course, like only ABC could take a guy who's like <laughs> Jack freaking Bauer and somehow emasculate him and like turn him into this like nerdy mm. uh uh what was it the head of the house ha- um, like the urban, urban housing of, or ur- yeah. urban of urban yeah. housing and oh my god and they they just every time somebody would like bust in and like and go after him i'm just like come on jack like pop him what are you doing jack yeah. let's go i'm like waiting i'm waiting like in the midst of
0: of a chaos scene for him to pull out his phone and hear that do 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 do, well, and say "Damn it, Carly!" Sarah Chloe. And I just started the latest season of uh, Homeland. I guess I kind of wanted to. I kind of oh. wanted to finish Narcos because we got to season three, but. Um, uh, I guess it's not a spoiler because if you know anything, don't wait, 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 don't no, 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 no don't it's spoil not a spoiler because uh, it's like history. Don't spoil Homeland because oh, no, 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 I I'm, do no. I'm Only halfway through the past about, season. Yeah, Narcos. Narcos. Basically, okay, like fine. it's like uh, that. well, I mean, like Pablo Escobar is the guy in it, but they kill Pablo Escobar, right? Everybody, everybody knows <gasps> that. So oh, I didn't know well, that now was. you know. Um, so then it turned like in season three. There's like a different like antagonist or whatever and so we just kind of well i was kind of interested in seeing the end of it but she was like ah whatever so let's go watch carrie matheson or whatever you know yeah i'm halfway through the last season of of homeland i i didn't realize that the new season had yeah started me neither until we uh showed up on the tv the other night so favorite character from homeland go um who's my favorite character from homeland uh i don't know i'll go with uh brody How about the Oof!
1: Oof! He came around. I'm a I'm a big I'm a big fan you, of uh, Saul Berenson. Yeah, you would be. Do you realize that it it took me until last year? It was my wife who uh, dropped the bombshell on me that he uh, he played a Montoya.
0: <laughs> really? I
1: had no idea. <laughs> I never realized that that was Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, but, Mandy uh, Patinkin, yeah. man. So now every time I every time I see Saul with that beard and uh, he's like being invested here, he's being interrogated by the Iranians yeah. or the. Uh, or he's in the, uh, the uh, Israelis. I'm expecting him to go. My name is Enigo Montoya. You killed my father. Well that's good. Uh, yeah, die. that's
0: good now. that's good um Inigo Montoya knowledge out of you, Russ. And I think um, that's probably an appropriate I think we can end on a high note with that. Yeah, I think I think that's I think it's lone, time to go is that a low. Uh,
1: Crossing Broadcast, as as always, brought to you by Carlino's Market and Amerigas. Uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, at Adam Lefco, at Crossing Broad, at Joy On Broad. And, heck, throw the host of It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia, oh, man. Kevin Kincaid, a, uh, throw him a follow Appreciate as well. That. He might not get you that much Markel fultz Supruder film, but he will give you uh, some opinions that are fair and balanced. He reports, you decide. Appreciate that. Thank you for listening to The Crossing Broadcast. We will talk to you again on Monday.